return is a practice. Healing rupture is a practice. And we're not the only ones on this planet right now (laughs) who are dealing with rupture, who are dealing with distance from loved ones, who are dealing with the pain of like, I don't even know how to connect anymore, you know, um, because the crisis has been so deep or the distance has been so long. I'm Autumn Brown, a queer science fiction writer, a theologian, a mother of dragons, and a healing justice facilitator for social movements living in Minneapolis. And I'm Adrienne Marie Brown, author of Emergent Strategy, Pleasure Activism, co-editor of Octavius Brood, writer, auntie extraordinaire, doula, and pleasure activist living in Detroit. And this is How to Survive the End of the World. Our podcast about learning from apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. And we're back! Oh my gosh, we're really back, sister. (laughs) I missed you so much. I missed you so much. This feels very momentous to me. It feels very big. It's very big. Um, (laughs) Like, it's a huge deal. I mean, first of all, (laughs) anything that we continue to do, I think anything that anyone does during the pandemic is a big deal. Like, right on the couch. (laughs) And that would be a justifiable behavior for the entirety of this time. But you still choose to do things. Wow. And then doing something like this, which is, it's like turning and facing what is hard. Um, and I feel like when we started this podcast, it was one level of apocalyptic things and unfolding. And now to be doing this podcast in the midst of this moment is huge. It's and a it whole just, other it, level. It feels very different. <laughs> so It's a whole other yeah. level of hard. It is. <laughs> it is. And one thing that we want to let our listeners know is that we're coming in to this season with some differences, some changes, some some practices we want to be in with y'all. Autumn, do you want to explain a little bit of how we're approaching this season? Yeah, I would love to. I'll say that broadly, part of what we wanted to do with this um, this fall part of our fourth season, um, part two, is is well one really approach the time that we are living in and living through with the gravity and um intention that it is owed and we also wanted to kind of return to what we felt was the magic and intimacy of our pilot season back Mm -hmm. in 2017 And so we're going to spend most of the season really in deep conversation just with one another Mm -hmm. and less, we will have a couple of um, really strategic conversations and interviews with a few voices that we believe are critical to lift up right now. Um, But mostly we want to just 
really be talking to each other (laughs) and returning to one another. Um, And with that, we also wanted to um, try out uh, some new practices for how we go through our conversation um, together. So we're trying out a new structure. Yes. Um, (laughs) we're going to like start every conversation with a check-in, which we're about to do. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to move into a new segment that we are calling the flume of rage. Why is it called (laughs) the flume of rage? It's because there was a point uh, a few months ago where I got really angry about something. And I said, I feel a flume of rage coming up in me. And what I meant was a plume. But I said flume, and we decided that that was a better phrase. Um, <laughs> it feels right. It feels so good so, every time you say it. That's why that's what the segment is called. Um, then once we get through our flume of rage, which you'll understand more about, like, what is that? When we get there, we'll actually talk about, like, the main content that we're here to talk about during the show. Mm. Um, and then we're actually going to end every episode. This is our aim for the rest of the season. We want to end every episode by talking about like a pop cultural moment that is helping us to survive and really own and honor that, especially during this pandemic moment where we are so cut off from one another still, you know, where most of us are still having to practice some form of social distancing, um, having to be really careful when we interact with each other in person, that we are relying increasingly on Um, those pop cultural moments that we share in or that we can share in or things that we can all access together at the same time or around the same time. Those are some of the things that we're relying on to feel connected to one another. Um, And we're also seeing like an increased level of folks who hold those cultural spaces really wanting to be in conversation with movements. And so we want to bring some of that in every time so we can just really celebrate the fact that we do have a way of connecting with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll close out. That's, that's how we're going to kind of run this show for the rest of the season. Awesome. Yeah. I think it'll be, yeah, I feel like um, this process of giving our, giving like, everything is out of control. There's so much chaos. And so finding the small places where we can create some rhythms for ourselves feels like it'll be helpful for us and, and feels like it'll be helpful for you as our listeners. And y'all will let us know if you like it. If you don't, you always do. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) everybody lets us know. Um, And, you know, everything about this podcast since day one has been experimental. Um, You know, our pilot season was like, does this even work as a podcast? We have gone into experiments of doing tons of interviews, doing series on topics, doing the apocalypse series. And so this we see as an, another experimental phase. Let's see how this feels. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so let's start with checking in. Sister. Um, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I want you to go first. How are you? Well, um, let's see. It's Beyonce's birthday as we're recording this. Happy and birthday, so Bay. Happy birthday to Beyonce. Um, she's going to get a good amount of airtime, I think, in this in this um, podcast episode. But <laughs> the thing, I'm just like, I just want to be real about that. Um, 
so because it's her birthday, something I started doing a couple years ago is on her birthday, just immersing myself in her work. And um, so today I was like, let me just watch all the visual albums like back to back and like have that on as I do my life. That is a very ambitious project. It was so ambitious. It's been so ambitious. So I've made it through the self-titled album, Homecoming, um, a couple of concert performances because that was just like, why not? Oh, right. It reminded me like I need to go see that too. And then Lemonade. Remember that time that she and revealed so, her pregnancy on stage at the Grammys? You knew that that was one of them. <laughs> you know that that was one of them. I was just like, wait a second. Remember when we first met Blue Ivy? Like, <laughs> um, and then, you know, other other major moments that feel important. So I feel good in the way I feel fortified by art that really nourishes me and particularly Virgo, Sun, Scorpio, Moon art that really nourishes me. Um, and I feel this system-wide calming down after a period of big intensity Mm. that was like we had family visit and I've been as you know in quarantine like in pandemic with our parents and my partner and in the past week basically like that entire experience kind of came to a head where it's like I need to have big conversations with every single person I know mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and just like hard conversations sometimes, but just like turning and being like, how are we doing? Mm-hmm. And I had a series of those and it's and survived and feel very strong afterwards and very clear. Like my my system feels clear. My love feels like it's at the front of my system again. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm one who like, if things are not being addressed, my fear and guardedness and all this other stuff comes to the front of my system. Armor up. And mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, whoop. I guess we're, I guess I will talk to no one. I'll be <laughs> back here feeling my feelings. Um, <laughs> and I just feel like all that armor came down intentionally. Like I brought all the, you know, I just was like, I'm taking off this armor. I'm taking this off. I'm mm-hmm. taking this off. And it's really good. I'm heading into my birthday weekend with a sense of feeling clean and clear, intact, in touch, really deeply loved, deeply satisfied with the connections I'm in. So I'm feeling I'm feeling as good. I think I'm feeling like pandemic high as well. <laughs> sort of like as good as I can feel inside of the larger conditions. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. that's so good. I'm so happy for you and I can really I can see it in you too I can see the I can I can like see just in your shape how like clear you feel um I am also on a zoom call so that's why she can see me that's right beloved (laughs) survivors like what we are on many platforms (laughs) currently um we're literally engaged in three different technologies um it's true so I am I, I said, I said, I went, I had physical therapy this morning and I, I said to my doctor on mm. the way in, I really increasingly feel like I can't complain. <laughs> and, um, and, and it's, and that felt real, you know what I mean? It feels real inside me that like, as I, even as I notice the things that are hard for me about, um, not just about the pandemic conditions, but just about the broader conditions of my life. I'm also mm. 
I feel just a requirement in me to equally notice all of the things that are very supportive to my well-being um, wow. and just know how lucky I am relative to so many. Um, and, you know, mm. so I'm, I'm just coming off of um, a writing residency that was so nourishing. Um, and for for our listeners who've been following this show for a couple of years or longer, folks may know that I was really on the precipice of finishing my novel. Um, and um, a little over a year ago, I was really like right on that precipice. And then um, <clears throat> my life really imploded. And mm-hmm. um, under the direction of some like older, wiser writers that I was in conversation with, I elected to set my book down and protect it from the conditions of my life, (laughs) Um, like really Mm. protect my creative work. And so Mm. coming back to it two weeks ago, it was very powerful to see that that project of protection was successful and um, and feel so clear coming back into the work Um, Mm -hmm. so that. And also just the, you know, just being able to lift up out of one's life and be in a really different space for a period of time is so important on so many levels. Like I feel like the, I, I've definitely experienced over and over again that the, the, the internal spiritual work that I do while I'm in an artist residency context um, has ramifications for my life months to years beyond that window yes. of time. So I can really feel that resourcing. I'm certainly looking down the barrel of the gun that is distance learning starting next week. Um, And I'm holding um, so much uh, management and coordination related to my children's academic lives in addition to working full time. And it is daunting. Um, But again, I I feel resourced. I feel very, I feel very lucky that I'm someone who already works from home and that I, in a way, have the privilege to manage that chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's that. That's what I mean when I say, like, is it chaos? Yes. Is it daunting? Yes. Do I feel exhausted most of the time still? Of course. But I feel protected, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that I, you know, I just, you can't take for granted that protection. Um I think the one other thing I'll say is that I'm I'm definitely coming into this call with grief, right? Um, oh, yeah. We've had some major losses in the last couple of weeks of people who, yeah. whose work and lives were meaningful to to millions of people, um, including mm-hmm. Chadwick Boseman, who um, just died of cancer at the age of 43. Um, yeah. And then yesterday, I got the news that my friend David Graber, who is a who was a incredible activist and also a radical anarchist anthropologist who wrote just incredible visionary work on those subjects. Um, he died yesterday and, mm. um, and it is a shock. It feels like a shockwave to my system and a shockwave, I think to the systems of everybody who, who knows and loves him and all those who, you know, know and love his work. Um, so yeah, I think there's that feeling of like 2020 is not pulling any punches and it's not going to hesitate to take things that we love. And that is, 
uh, yeah. as much as it's like giving us visions of liberation, it's also taking from us, um, uh, taking from us things that we that we love and things that we needed, you know. So that's wanna that's me. Throw in there also Rahwa Abde. Um, who is a Seattle community organizer and one of those foundational soil people um, in Seattle movement space and Seattle cultural arts space um, that similarly, it was just like, what, what, (laughs) you know, I feel like we keep having these deaths where there's no way to comprehend what and why now and how to hold it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but inside of inside of that grief, I'm really grateful to hear how you're doing and that you are doing it. <laughs> you know, that I'm like, okay, like this is a lot to hold. And I keep I keep thinking, you know that um thing where it's like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, where it's like Ginger Rogers is doing everything Fred Astaire is doing but backwards in heels. Yes. Um, I feel like that's kind of how I keep thinking of the pandemic for parents yes i'm like like, oh i'm going through this pandemic it's completely emotionally overwhelming i hate the limitations of it i need to travel it's there's just so many pressures and there's so much hopelessness about how the administration is handling it and then parents are doing all of that same level of work but also with people who absolutely rely on them and even closer everyday experience of how how the system doesn't care. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I just, you know, it's that backwards and heels, like with on less sleep with more people relying on you. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I have to say I, yesterday I drove over to my kid's school to do a drive through pickup of distance learning devices and yeah. every staff and administrator that I saw out the window or had to interact with, I was like, I see you. I love you. I thank you. <laughs> like, God bless you. <laughs> and just like, because, you know, every, it, like mm-hmm. parents are in an impossible situation right now. Staff, administrators, teachers, mm-hmm. every, everyone is being put in truly, truly impossible circumstances by yeah. both. I mean, it would be the case on some level anyway with the pandemic. But then, of course, the the criminal mishandling of <laughs> of the of the pandemic by the current administration um, is absolutely the reason why we're all in it's, you know, five, six months later, we're all in a situation that we literally should not be in and would not have to be in. If, if we weren't, if our government wasn't being run by criminals, which brings us to what what the the flume of rage, rage. (laughs) something burning. The plume of rage. I feel like there's a couple of things to talk about that are anger making right now. Great. And I'm wondering if it. you want to talk about I don't I mean, we don't have to talk about this. I don't even know if we should give it any kind of airtime at all. But Miss Jessica La Bamalera. <laughs> Oh, yes. Jess La Bombera, the a.k.a. quote-unquote Boricua from not El Barrio. <laughs> I know. Okay, so this is so interesting to me, this whole situation, because I'm like, I'm, I did have my, so for anyone who's listening, this activist, act, academic person um, came out yesterday as white um, after having spent a, 
a very robust and successful career as a black Latinx, Latinx person, um, particularly Puerto Rican from the Bronx with a Bronx accent and all the things. And, um, and I will speak to it because I don't think that this is someone I ever met, although it's very hard to tell with the way life goes down these days. Sure. Um, but I don't think this is someone I actually ever crossed the paths of. I think I, like many, many people, most experienced her as an online presence. And her online presence... So, so here's the two things I'll say about her for me. Mm-hmm. One is I felt an initial wave of rage because she, similar to Rachel Dolezal, when Rachel Dolezal's spot got blown up, it wasn't just the perpetration into... Uh, life as a black person. It's the policing. It was getting into the role and then policing how everyone else was living their blackness, doing their blackness and how people were engaging with black people. Mm -hmm. So moving into the identity of a marginalized oppressed person, but still carrying the um, righteousness and the behavior of someone with white supremacist privilege. Um, So, that part of it that that continues to be unfolded so many people are telling the story of like the only experience i had was like she went off on me in the comments of some thread about this or that or the other thing Mm -hmm. but the other thing that has complicated my rage um which is still there (laughs) is i'm still like stop doing this and also just in case any other white people are in the world um acting like they are black or puerto rican or any of those things this would be a great time to stop like I do think that the response, just don't do it. Like, come out to your friends, find support. Um, it's clearly a sign that you need some kind of significant intervention. And I recognize, like, this is the hard part of all things. And I'm like, I would not wish the way that she feels about herself or the way a Rachel Dolezal feels about herself. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Like, it's hard enough right now to be a white person person who's having to be suddenly newly held accountable for the legacy of your people. Like that's a hard thing that a lot of white people are dealing with right now. But to add to that, the self-loathing to not even be willing to step in and take responsibility for that work, but to actually try to put on the costume of some other people's and, uh, and then have to get discovered. I mean, like, I just can't even imagine, like, what kind of trauma leads to that? What kind of self-loathing and hatred and narcissism are all swirled up inside of each day of of living inside of that? So, you know, I feel like that self-loathing, that, that kind of burden of self-loathing is its own punishment. There's nothing else I need to add yes. to her, <laughs> her, her, her plate of punishment or, <clears throat> or consequence, whatever it is. But I do feel like... Um, there's the the other piece and you know you and I talk about this but I'm like there are so there are so many issues already inside communities of black people latinx people people of color around how do we turn and face the legacies of white supremacy as they have imprinted on us as they have harmed us as they have divided us as they have made us um separate ourselves from ourselves as they have made us struggle to be seen as valuable. Mm. Like there's such a history of pain and hardship in that space. And there's already so much, um, you know, I think the artifacts of division inside of these communities 
that we're all, we're facing just without any white people trying to front as if they're also part of us. We're already dealing with that internally of like, how do we hold our mixed race identities? How do we hold light skinned identities, which are often mixed race, but further back down the line? How do we hold these um, legacies where power over was used to to create divisions amongst, amongst us that we wouldn't have imposed on ourselves. Right. And now we're living in and trying to heal from all that harm. And the last thing we need is, is white folks in, in injecting themselves <laughs> as a toxin into that already um, infected wound. So I, yeah, that's my flume of rage about it. That's how I feel. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> what are you so pissed about? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't even know this person. I never even heard of her until yesterday. Um, but I mean, so, but you know, one of the things that, that was, that was hard to watch was all of, all of the folks of color, particularly black folks that I know who had, um, who had been impacted by her and how she moved in community and Uh who also felt, who felt culpable because of the fact that they uplifted her work. Right. And it's that, that for me is actually even more painful to watch is like the folks whose work I love and adore and respect feeling like they have to explain themselves to community, (laughs) Um, you know, for fear of being associated with someone who would do something so devious and so insidious. And, um, you know, so my, my hope, even as I feel my, I, I feel rage about, about that particular behavior, which I, I agree with you. It's 100% um, rooted in self-loathing, obviously. And I think, you know, I even wrote a flash fiction piece about this last night because I was having so like Better a right. flash fiction piece from her perspective, trying to explain what she did. And, <laughs> you know, and it included this line, like, if you could choose to not be from a blank space, wouldn't you? And I think, Ooh. and I feel that, right? Like I feel, I feel that every time I do deep work with white people, which is, you know, it's a lot of my work is yeah. that, you know, the desire to not be from a blank space and Mm. fear and hatred of what that blank means and so you know I I see it I see the I see the trauma I see the the cultural social relational impact of the trauma and yet (laughs) like so many things it's like yeah there's people who live with that trauma and 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 decide I'm going to move with this knowing that yes. this is a legacy I inherited. And then there's the other folks who are like, I'm going to internalize this and, and move against myself and move against community. Mm. Um, what's the explanation yeah. for that? I don't know. I don't know why it is that some folks can mm. be responsible and others cannot, you know? Um, no. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I think it plays off of some tendencies in movement right now that I, I hope we pay attention to and continuously pay attention to because I think one of the things that makes people like well, right. we need to do more black gatekeeping and I'm like maybe maybe not I don't think that that's necessarily the most useful <laughs> um, use of our time the best use of our time but I do think there's something really interesting about how people start to feel like I have to list out a bunch of um, traumatic things that have happened to me traumatic things I have survived in order to have value and be loved and be seen and be accepted. And 
I have to try to add to that, right? So it's like that oppression Olympics gone wild Mm -hmm. thing where I see it happen more and more often that folks are starting out their, even their introduction of themselves with, here's all the horrific things that have happened to me. And that's what I saw in most of her bios and most of her, you know, things that she was writing about herself is like, I went through everything. And right. I was like, but you you actually didn't. And you don't need to have gone through those things to have a belief in um, liberation right. or to have a belief in <laughs> abolition or to believe. Like, I think that that's a dangerous place for us to get to. That's like, you have to have gone through everything horrible in order to have a belief in justice. Mm-hmm. I think we want to pull those things apart. That it's like having gone through all the hard things, we want to make sure that you're getting support for all the hard things and that there's room for you to be healing from those things. But we want to make sure that everyone who's going through those things, complicit in those things, creating those things, whatever, everyone is figuring out how do we step away from those systems of injustice and how do we challenge them? And so that's something, you know, I'm just like, you you can have a fantastic politic and be super well thought out about these things. And you don't have to lie in any way about who you are coming into that. Like, yes. You can just have it. Okay. Can I just say one more thing about this and then we can totally move on from the flume? Yes. But <laughs> I, I have a, I have a thought about this because for me that, that behavior you're describing of, of feeling like I have to have gone through these things and also prove that I've gone through these things in order to have entree into movements or have entree into belief systems of liberation and justice is also fundamentally rooted in whiteness because in amongst white folks who are not pretending to be not white, um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Double negative, but you understand what I'm saying. And among white folks who are not pretending to not be white, what we see is often so among white the, folks just being white. The <laughs> white folks being white, just being themselves. Just white white folks. What we Most often see is like the mirror <laughs> of that, which is that I can't even begin to understand uh-huh. liberation and the need for justice because I don't know anything about all that harm. And right. And one thing that I've been doing a lot of like thinking and writing about, um, especially in the last year, is the problem of double mindedness in white people. You know, this sort of split consciousness where on the one hand, white people are engaged in systems of violence and harm and are capable of causing enormous harm inside those systems. And then on the other hand, they um, are operating as though they're incapable of causing harm and really believe themselves to be benign. And so, you know, and so that, that thing that we all casually refer to as like white tears or white fragility is in, in my mind is actually a very sophisticated defense mechanism because if a white person, you know, is called to account for their harmful behavior and and they've been operating as though they're completely unaware of it, then Mm. that double-mindedness, that response enables them to respond as though they have no capacity to be responsible for the, the, the behavior that arose from their lack of consciousness, right? So that's what those tears are. It's like, oh, God, I had no idea and I could never know, so therefore I can't do anything about it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like really, really sophisticated, yeah. And, and it's like, 
it's obviously it's like integrating those consciousnesses that's like part of the way that white folks can exit those behaviors and those systems but as long as white folks are really denying their own reality like their own experience of Mm -hmm. systems of violence and harm we produce these it's like reproducing these same exact dynamics where we have white people who are like I have no idea and then other white people who are like I know all about it and in fact I lived it because actually I'm black you know it's like (laughs) it's like can only be one or the other you know what I'm saying no and you know it's it's so painful because I can think of so many people over the years who have either softly or very overtly done this kind of move. Mm -hmm. And I know, I, I understand that. I love that thing about blankness, right? Because I'm like, it's not a, it's not a real blankness either. It's like there was something really powerful in almost every lineage of people, right? There was a history you have, your own kings and queens and you have your own stories and your own rituals and your own songs and all of that. And all of that was tossed over the edge in order to have supremacy, like supremacy required a flattening out of all of that culture Mm. for this new thing, this other thing. And you had to take the edges, the ethnicities, all the differences off in order to be a part of something that, um, can't nourish you right Mm. whiteness as it as it is it is as it is constructed whiteness has no nourishing content it's sugar right so i think that there's something and it's not that raw sugar it's that white sugar it's not that good raw sugar Mm -hmm. it's processed baby (laughs) um so you know you took the nutrients off the rice whatever it is so i just think that there's like (laughs) something yeah there's a lot there but i I felt that, yeah, the, the sort of flume of rage <laughs> up and through me and through the community. And I think it will continue. I think this is one of those things that, like, has these additional reverberations. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I'm glad we I'm glad we flumed it. We flumed it. I keep thinking about this Jessla Bombara thing bombera i'm not sure how to say a fake name correctly but i um two thoughts more occur to me one is that it feels like extra white supremacy to cancel yourself (laughs) like i keep thinking about that how it's like i won't even let you guys decide how to punish me or what my consequences might be or how to respond to this i already through my own analysis, figured out what the outcome should be, and I'm letting you know. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, I think I think you could leave some of that up to black and brown people. Um, <laughs> but I'm also thinking about her versus Rachel Dolezal, who I just looked to be like, is she still around? And she has like an IG page where she's teaching people how to do sew-ins. And it feels like this really unveils two paths for people who are determined to co-opt African and Latinx and Black and other cultures. One is to double down into a sort of embarrassing path of claiming a transracial identity. And 
and not just saying like, I deeply appreciate and I want to (laughs) be in this, but just being like, no, I am this. So the dollars all path is like double down and refuse to acknowledge anything was wrong. Refuse to apologize to anyone who you, you took space from and continue to, to, um, exact your privilege over. And then the Lobambara path is this other way of to make an explosive event out of yourself and take up all the air (laughs) in the room um, around it. Like, slipping away quietly is also always an option. You know, coming clean with your friends and family and putting yourself, maybe there needs to be a rehab program um, maybe, maybe we should talk to Serge about that. Anyway, further thoughts. <laughs> they keep coming. So, Sistrin, um, I want to get into our main topic now, Let's which is about returning. And I want us to speak of it, you know, there's a lot of returning levels happening, mm. But I think it would be helpful for us to share with our listeners a little bit of what we are returning from, right? So there's been a lot of layers of things that have pulled you and I specifically apart from each other and apart from proximity Mm -hmm. and the intimacy that we've been used to. And now we are in a process of returning to it. And, um, you know, on the most overt level, it was just sabbatical, right? Like I went away for six months and... Um, was out of touch with most people, not doing this podcast. But, you know, this podcast is not the extent of our relationship or friendship. So I was just not in touch with most people, period. Right. But that actually comes after other things that have been pulling us. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah. yeah, it's like if we're if we're going, we're backing it up, backing it up, backing it up. Back that thing up. Um, I mean, I would say from my end that there there are like two layers that I can see most clearly that really resulted in us getting pulled apart from each other. Mm-hmm. And one, one was the depth of crisis that I entered in 2019. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, as I've shared with, with, with our listeners before, there's a lot of detail that I, that I, um, that I can't go into maybe yet in my life. Right. Um, and And that you don't owe anyone, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I don't exactly. I'm like on my own healing journey around it, but, um, but I, I was, it was in a really deep state of crisis, um, such that I needed a lot of support and was also simultaneously unable to provide support to really anyone in my life outside of my children, right? Like my whole, mm-hmm. the, my whole project of survival that year was like, I have to keep myself safe and alive and I have to keep my children safe and thriving. Mm-hmm. And I need everyone who is intimate with me, who I'm allowing deeply in to see what's happening to circle up around me and help me protect myself and protect me. Right. Yeah. Um, but I don't have 
any bandwidth at all for that being reciprocal, <laughs> right? And I think that there were various points at which I was like able and unable to either like be transparent about that with my loved ones, including you, um, mm-hmm. or even be transparent with myself about the fact that that was my reality, you know? I remember mm-hmm. multiple points of like, uh, you know, being in therapy and kind of like, uh, <laughs> like, um, dragging myself with my therapist for the fact that like, oh my God, like two months have gone by and I haven't asked my mom how she's doing. And like, you know, uh-huh. that, and, and my therapist being like, that's an indicator of how deep the crisis is, Autumn, like to be gentle yeah. with yourself. Right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like, yeah. Thank God for therapy. Oh my God. Therapy's the best. So that was a part of it you know, that overlaps with this time where you and I are seeing each other a lot less because of your, the intensity of your work schedule over the course of 2019 and my life and, you know, move and all the things that were happening in 2019. So we're like seeing each other less and less and less. And then you go away on sabbatical. And, and I think, I don't know if this is true for you, but I remember what felt true for me was that the times that we were seeing each other or connecting in with each other, whether it the few times it was in person or the times that we were having family check-ins, it felt like this time is so precious that we can't deal with anything hard, right? Yes. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, we'll get to that. We'll get to that later, but then the getting to that later meant that we were putting off longer and longer what amounted to really a rupture in our relationship. And I feel like we're really just now returning to one another and figuring out, okay, how are we going to knit this back together? Because you are my ride or die. I am your ride or die. Like there's no one in the world I'm more loyal to, you know, aside from my children and, (laughs) and, and like our other sister and my parents, but came out of you. Right. Like, yeah. blood relations um but but i think that like it's a i think i it's it feels really clear to me and this is that micro macro right of like why are we talking right. about this in public that like return return is a practice healing rupture is a practice and we're not the only ones on this planet right now (laughs) who are dealing with rupture who are dealing with distance from loved ones who are dealing with the pain of like I don't even know how to connect anymore you know um, because the crisis has been so deep or the distance has been so long right I think the things that really are meaningful to me are in the first half of that year I felt like we were attached at the hip and I feel like one of the things that I learned um, both with you and with another friend I helped in a, you know, in a somewhat similar situation where I was just like, this is a fucking shit show and we got to rescue this, (laughs) you know, we got to pull what we can. We got to get get into the lifeboat and just go, you know? (laughs) So I felt like um, I was in that situation concurrently with two people last year, you and my friend. And what, and in the moment, it felt like well, this is the right thing to do. I'm just going to get in this boat with you and I'm going to just be right here for as many moments as I can. And um, But I think that what was also happening was that 
you were dealing with something that I don't, I didn't really know how to deal with. <laughs> right. Mm. So I was like, I'm supporting you, but usually I'm in a place of supporting people through things that I've been through in some way. Right. Like I try to really hold that line of like, oh, I've been in a, in a leadership position. I can support you in how to be a leader. I've been through breakups. I can support you with how to do breakups. I've been through this and that. And I've never been married. I've never had to move, you know, through the crisis of what happens when a marriage is over. I haven't done those, that kind of work. And so I feel like I got in with you and there we were. Um, and it was, but it was also really, be- I mean, there was a lot of beauty to it. Like, even though it was very hard, there was also such a, a high level of intimacy of just sort of like, you don't have to hide anything. I don't have to hide anything. Like, we can just be really straightforward with each other about what's happening here. Totally. And how to, and, and, you know, like one of the things that I've been struggling, that I struggle with, I've been struggling with is like, how do I work with my empathy powers when Uh I am still, I'm still such a like baby in terms of like, I know I'm a very powerful empath. But I'm still a real little baby um, in terms of like um, really being able to quickly identify if the feelings I'm feeling are mine or someone else's. So like the place that I'm getting really I'm getting much better at boundaries, you know, like I'm getting much better at like setting boundaries at the outset of relationships and experiences and all those things my boundaries are like I like I was saying during the queer ancestral technologies uh event like my boundaries are amazing I wish everyone could see them but (laughs) but that's not the same as like there's like a different kind of work that's about you know when you have in really intense empathy and you have a lot of openness um like it's different work to be able to really differentiate like the feelings I'm feeling like this is my panic or, Oh, this is, this is my child's panic. I'm feeling it on their behalf, but it's actually not mine. And (laughs) you know, or like, this is my terrible nightmare that I just had, or no, this is actually someone else's terrible nightmare that entered my psyche and isn't actually my fears, you know, <laughs> like, um, which I've, I had that experience a couple of times over the last year where I would wake up from nightmares and be like, I don't think that those are my, I don't think that that was my dream. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that was actually like my fear. Um, and, Mm. but I'm still, I'm still really new in that work. And so then mapping that onto like trying to connect with family, I'm used to my antenna being able to like, sort of like pick up, like, this is the mood that this person is having. And this person is angry about this and like, (laughs) da, 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 I'll smooth it with a joke. And I'm like, I don't, I don't actually know if I can trust what my antenna are even picking up. (laughs) That's right. You know? That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think there's that antenna distortion, empath distortion. Mm-hmm. And I would add to that, um, I feel overwhelm is such a real thing, like <sighs> emotional overwhelm thing, over, you know, like just new things. Like it just feels like strong, huge, big emotional things are happening all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about like last week, 
I watched the Black National Convention, which burst my heart open, and I was just mm. feeling so um, alive and and such Black power running through me and such connection and political alignment and political home and just like hope, you know, <laughs> just like we're going to be fine. We are not reliant on the state. We are not reliant on these systems. Like the analysis is tight and we're going to be great. And I'm just so excited to be alive at the same time as the movement for black lives is like transforming the world. And I was just feeling that huge high. Mm-hmm. And then the Chadwick Bozeman news came in followed by the Rahwa news. And like, it was just like, whoo, just like, and then, and, and like that is just like a microcosm of the emotional range that we're expected to travel almost every day. It feels like right now. So I also think inside of that, the, it's like the, emotional pendulum is swinging so widely for everyone in different ways at different times. And so then trying to like lock in even enough to be like, Hey, are we here right now? Like, (laughs) how are you doing? Um, and not taking it personally if someone's in a very wildly different place on the pendulum, which has also been the great lesson coming out of sabbatical into a situation where I'm living with three adults who I have very intimate, complex, different relationships with has been so such a good teacher about Mm -hmm. that, that I'm like, all four of us are inside of our own different pandemic swings. And like, sometimes we align, usually when we're all watching Jeopardy, but mostly (laughs) everyone's just swinging their own way and um, trying to not control all that movement, but really just accept like, yes, we're all swinging and like that's the right way to respond to a time that requires such massive emotional range Mm -hmm. so I just also love the nerdiness of all of you watching Jeopardy together it just it warms my heart (laughs) we all sit down like no matter what I mean we could not be more different people living more different lives but when we sit down for Jeopardy it's 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 just it all comes to bear It's, it's like we would be the perfect Jeopardy team (laughs) <laughs> because between all of our different life experiences, we know a lot of the answers yes. to Jeopardy questions, um, which I think is a good transition into our pop culture segment or like what's been helping us survive. And I I think this time we're going to do multiple things each because we just want to talk about like in this returning, what has helped us get through this summer, this pandemic, what are just some key things? And then... And then we're going to institute this, yes, as a regular segment for folks that will try to bring at least one thing to each place. Love it. um, Geez. Um, Do you want to jump in and go first with your things? Yes. It's like pop culture, top culture. um, Top culture. (laughs) Top culture. Um, Yeah. And I'll say, I feel like you probably have so much more on your list than I do. And, um, that's, you know, there's, yeah, there's this the function of like, (laughs) I I have children and also I just like, I don't know, I'm just still in that zone where it's like, it's really hard for me to like do and view other things. But, um, (laughs) but I do have a few things that have been getting me through. Um, I did binge, uh, as I mentioned in our one of our summer drop episodes, um, I did binge all of Orphan Black over the course of the summer. Um, Sistre. Sistre. And Sistre. it was <laughs> so excellent. It's such an excellent, excellent masterpiece of a show. Um, and Do you want to tell people what it is? It's, you know, it's, it, the storyline is following this 
woman who um, completely by accident of like being a hustler stumbles into the uh, life of another woman who looks just like her. And mm-hmm. um, and because she's a hustler and she's just trying to make it, she like uh, assumes this woman's identity being like, well, we look we look exactly alike and that's weird, but I'm just going to take her identity and take all her money if I can. <laughs> and then lo and behold, she finds out that actually the reason why they look just alike is that they're clones and that there's more of them. And she wow. finds herself suddenly like dropped into this um what first appears to be like a seedy underbelly of society in which people are sort of like, you know, doing all kinds of weird things with bodies. And then what ultimately (laughs) amounts to like, you know, over hundred year long conspiracy, eugenics conspiracy to shape the development of, of, um, of human evolution through cloning. Mm. And um, that's like the arc of the whole show. But this one actress Tatiana Masrani, I think, is her name. Um, She's a Canadian actress. And she plays... By the end of the show, she plays, like, 13 different characters. And... But there are four characters that she plays very, very regularly over the course of the show. Um, And she's so highly skilled and so believable that when she's playing a character who's having to pretend to be one of the other clones, you can tell, like you can see, you, it's believable to you that like, oh, this one clone is having to pretend to be the other clone, right? It's like that, yes. that's how deep her <laughs> range is, you know? So that for me yes. as someone who like, who studied and trained as an actor, it just gives me so much joy to watch really, really skilled, excellent acting. <laughs> it's like, wow, this is someone who really fucking knows what she's doing. Um, and I'm so glad that a show was created that she could just like be her brilliant self in. Um, and then all the other, like all of the, of the other tertiary characters to her are also like amazing and beautifully written and beautifully, um, performed. So that was just delicious. Um, and it's also like super gay. So it's just great. Um, and so Orphan Black was awesome. I'll say like my, um, my like, my like social media, um, my social media love affair that I have is Ooh. with this social media person who goes by Benny Drama. And basically like is constantly creating characters that he's then acting out in his Instagram stories and films. But one of the particular sets of characters that he creates are based on the astrological signs. And he creates these like eight to nine minute long films uh, based on these different signs um, reacting to situations like, um, Scorpio's dating Scorpio's going on a date for the first time um, <laughs> and with wigs and backgrounds and costumes and everything and it's it's so good and so like addicting frankly to watch so I I when I'm when I do have my moment on the toilet I'll just be like Betty drama what did you drop most recently that's what I want to see hello mama oh god I know let me make this way these now it's been hell I can like smell my own dog shit breath it's so gross yeah, actually, you know what? Mmm, got feel good. Yeah, let's got bread, baby. Mm-hmm. 
I'll say I'm going to have a super mom moment where I finally just I finally figured out who Billy Ellis is. And um, and I'm like, now, who is that? I, I, like, who is Billy Ellish? OK, how does one find web shows? Um, that's me. That's me. Like, and I've always been like that. I'm like, I am 50 inside. But <laughs> I definitely I would say closer to 75. But yeah. Exactly. I'm definitely I'm I'm definitely already aged. But I finally figured out who Billy Ellish is. And I have to say. I think I might be a fan. I don't know if there's any controversy around this person, but I like what I hear. Um, they were this person reminds me a lot of the kind of music that uh, my child Siobhan makes, and so I think yes. that's part of why I'm so excited about them. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, and then the last thing I'll say is the <laughs> one book I was able to read this summer. Yes. Oh my God, Children of Virtue and Vengeance. Um, by Tomi Adeyemi in the Children of Blood and Bone series. It's the second, it's the sequel. The third book, I think, is coming out in 2020 or 2021. And it's just incredible. It's just incredible. And it leaves on the most fucked up cliffhanger I have ever experienced (laughs) in a book. Ever. The most fucked up ever. But I also loved it. The book that Autumn is talking about is actually by the author who we featured as um, the guest episode, one of our summer guest episodes. So if you look back before this podcast, I think it was the last of our guest episodes is an interview between our beloved Kimberly Drew with Tomi Adeyemi talking about all of her work and really addressing it brilliantly. So yeah, if you're excited about what Autumn is saying, Go back and check that out. Yeah, that's my top culture. What's your top culture? Um, well, first of all, I just want to say those are great top culture things. Like, I really approve of all your top cultures. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you needed such things. Um, let's see. I'm looking at my... I have a long list of top culture things. Um, and I think I've got it. So... The quick hits, I don't think that they need much diving into, but Cardi B and Meg The Stallion's WAP oh video has God, given me so good. I love it. I love it. Every single time I put it on, it just makes me feel happy. I love all the controversy around it and how it just unveils so much about people's terror of um, women in right relationship with their wetness. And um, I also, I really love all the remixes. There's been like remixes and covers and, and all these other things. There was someone named, I think, Mac Daddy. Anyway, I'll find the link and put it in. But there was this other one that was all people who were like masculine presenting queer presenting that did like another version of the video that is so hot like I watch it and my cheeks flush I want to see so I just feel it's so sexy there's just so much it was just the whole thing was just like sexy.com and I was here for all of it and I especially loved it as Meg the Stallion went through this process of getting shot and like folks not showing up for her Mm -hmm. I love that like during the experience she's just like look fuck everybody I'm at the top of the charts as per usual like you literally can't even handle how amazing I am um and that that will continue to be the way that we have to interact with her that she's on a different level Mm -hmm. 
Um, and her, her booty literally is just her booty is a on a realm. whole different it's just level, a whole different realm. And Can I just say about this? Things. And I know this is your turn to mm-hmm. do your list, but one of the things that I loved about the <laughs> internet controversy around this. So there's all the people, there was like one particular like conservative pundit who was like, I'm concerned about these women because that sounds like bacterial vaginitis. Basically being like, <laughs> this this song is gross. You must not understand. And all these black gynecologists responded being like, I just want to make sure everyone knows that having a WAP is totally normal. And in fact, yes. it's very healthy. And if you would like it's to healthy. know how to have a WAP, call your local gynecologist. <laughs> exactly. A WAP is a goal. A WAP is something WAP that is you a goal. Have. It's a sign of health, right? <laughs> Um, anyway, and it should be something that you're skilled at participating and interacting with if 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 the P part of that is anything that you're dealing with ever. So exactly. Yes. So what um, I may destroy you, which was an HBO show that came out with um, Michaela Coel, and she was the creator of Chewing Gum. And this is a story that's written about um her relationship with sexual assault and Mm. it is devastating. Like it's devastating. It's brilliantly written. It's intoxicating. Um, It's difficult, but I want, I'm like, people need to watch this. It's one of the best things. It's a television series, television series, uh, HBO series Mm -hmm. called I may destroy you. I think it's like 10 episodes or something. And um, I want people to watch it because I feel like it, it handles the complexity of, that this idea, you know, that Prentice Hemphill has written, you know, like none of us are innocent and we need to relinquish this concept of innocence in order to be actually able to work on what's going on in our society and mm-hmm. how prevalent, for example, rape culture is in our society. Yes. It goes right into that. And it's so complex and so well done. Um, so that feels like necessary for everyone to watch. Um, and then, there's this project called the Pandemic Project that came out this summer. Um, and the there's one person's name, Tobe Nwigwe, I think is how it's said, that's connected to it. But it's a whole crew of people who look like the coolest intentional community cult ever. Um, they're always <laughs> wearing these kind of like seafoam green items in a seafoam green space. And they put out these songs. And so one of the songs... Um, that caught my ear and caught my eye initially was Try Jesus. And it's like, Try Jesus. Try Jesus, not me. Cause I throw hands. Try Jesus, please don't try me. Cause I'm fine. It's just this really beautiful organic project that looks like either one big family or people who just kick it with each other all the time. But it jumped from Instagram to like music charts. Like it's it's made that leap wow. somehow. And it's just really interesting to watch. Um, and then someone else on Instagram, her name is M-A-J-I-M-B dot O on Instagram. And she makes these videos that are the funniest thing, one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I won't try to recreate it. Okay. You have to just go watch it yourself. 
Okay. Um, but she makes fun of basically she's she sounds like you know how on Key and Peel there was that that the anger translator. Mm-hmm. She's like the petty translator. Like she's just like you. You do not deserve to be in my presence. You do not deserve my time. Mm-hmm. You do not deserve any of these things. And there's something about it that is just so hilarious. Is and this the person the who whole... made the video about um, being late and being fine with it? She's like, if you're on time, <laughs> that's on you. You yes. made a choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, I'm over I here living my best life. Nothing. When I text exactly. you saying that I'm on my way, <laughs> I'm in the bathroom. <laughs> exactly watching Beyonce so so every video is like that like and she's eating chips and putting these glasses on and off the whole time and it just looks like she's in like some little bedroom it looks like she's maybe a teenager I don't know but the whole thing is just hilarious and since I started paying attention to this summer it's like that moment of her taking off so it's like watching her making these videos becoming viral and then now she's like in the New York Times (laughs) because she's just hilarious content creator i have been accused of being a bad photographer i don't exactly take photos for vogue (laughs) so trusting me that's on you (laughs) that's a you problem (laughs) um so all of these things we can put in the show notes because i'm like i want everyone to discover her and and like the on days when nothing else will make my energy come up and you know, Fiawada's judgment-free zone is not up yet, <laughs> then this is the place I turn to uh-huh. to get my fix of, like, comedy, black humor. Um, just a couple more things. Mucho, mucho amor, which was the Walter Mercado video uh, movie about his life. He was this incredible Puerto Rican astrologer um, who passed away last year. Hmm. And the movie is so beautiful like it just makes your heart Mm. expand and feel joy and I think it works even if you're not into astrology you're looking it up right now add it to your list I'm just adding it's just a joyful experience like um Walter was one of those people where and, and I feel like this is one of the most beautiful things about living in this time of history is it's a time when people are born who are deeply original and outside of any of the constructs that we have been given for how a person can be and somehow they're able to realize that in a in an otherwise fairly conservative environment. Yeah. So Walter was this like very gender queer magical being who was like walking around in these mad- majestic capes and gilded crowns and giving people astrological guidance into a fairly conservative often catholic <laughs> other you know environment. Um and folks were just like that's Walter. Like, we'll just accept that. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was beautiful. Um, and the other ones that I have are Pea Valley, which is on Stars Again, television show. It's about a black strip club in Mississippi. And it is sexy, challenging, queer friendly. It's just like one of the best things and has one of the best gay love stories and gay sex scenes that I have seen on television ever. Like just thinking about it right now is making me whap. And then (laughs) the last thing, it's so good. I'm not kidding. Like it's so good. Like just the love story is between two people named uncle Clifford and little Myrna. 
So it's just okay. like a love story. Mm-hmm. That That's the one to watch. Um, oh, actually, two more things. So I read a book. I read many books, but one by this author named Kathleen Collins, who passed away a while ago. But these were short stories that she wrote back in like the 60s. Um, it's a collection called Whatever Happened to Interracial Love. Hmm. And that's one of the stories in it. But they are these short, hard-hitting, beautiful stories that do more to explore women's interiority than almost any other writing I've ever seen. Wow. Like that space between what actually gets said and what gets shown to others and what's actually happening within. Mm. It's just powerful work. Okay. Um, And then the last one is Lovecraft Country. Which I haven't seen yet. I'm not going to do any spoilers. I'm just going to say it's an over-the-top, outrageously speculative, magical show. And it's black, and it's like somehow weaving black history into this like speculative, wild... I mean, there's anything you can think of is happening in the show. Mm-hmm. But the very cool thing that happened is HBO sent me a virtual reality headset. Because I, I guess because I said, like, I like this show. And they randomly selected people who said that. And were like, I don't think it was random, Adrian. This is one of those moments. I think moments. it was pretty random. This is one of those moments. Oh, <laughs> oh like. <laughs> <laughs> it's Custer Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> That's quite possible. But. They were like, it might sis, be this. let us send you like, a VR helmet. That doesn't just happen famous. to random people. <laughs> okay. That, okay. So it's quite possible that what you're saying is true. Mm-hmm. And I will allow it. But <laughs> I said, yes, these people were reached out. Because, you know, people often reach out and they're like, hey, can we send you this? Can we send you that? And like, if, you know, I'll say yes if I feel like it's if aligned it's with something I could be interested in. Right. right. Bath salts. <laughs> if it's like. Um, I love bath salts. I love lotion. You know, I'm like, yeah, you want to send me CBD products? Fuck yes. yes. You know, like, that. I will uplift that. Um, but a virtual reality, headset, virtual reality headset is something I've been actually really wanting for a long time. And then having it tied to this show that I am like completely smitten with um, was just too delicious. So I got this virtual reality headset and I've been playing with it. And I really wish that everyone, I wish it could be a video of just me trying to not run into the wall. But (laughs) I've been like in there learning to box in there and play video games inside the virtual reality headset. And it is something I'm now kind of like, I do see it's such a tricky, (laughs) it's such a tricky thing. I'm just like, ooh, I can totally see how. There's a future path in which everyone's just living in. Holy shit. I'm just worlds, like having right? nightmarish visions of like distance learning a year from now being like all of my children are in virtual reality. Are headsets. in virtual reality headsets, right? I mean, but the thing that I, I like about it so far is almost every thing that I've interacted with requires me to be up and moving around. So it's like I square off a section that's like this is the area I can move inside of. And then I'm dancing or I'm like walking on an adventure or I'm boxing or I'm, it's like very physical wow. um, in a way that I have kind of I missed during this pandemic because I'm a swimmer. I, I like to go dance all night. Like I got there's things physically that I like to do that my body feels good doing. 
that I just haven't been able to get that experience at all during this pandemic. Totally. I'm, I'm like, like literally so about to of... sign up for one of those like online like yes. size like the dance classes that are led by like real hip hop choreographers. Like I'm like exactly. I'm at that point in the pandemic. <laughs> Not a real one. Yes, exactly. Right. Real hip hop <laughs> choreographers are waiting to teach you to dance. Um, yeah, I mean, I have done, you know, I've been doing classes here and there. I, I like, you know, watch the D nice mix sometimes or Bobito or other people. I've been watching some of the verses like Brandy and Monica verses and other things like Those that. Those are so good. But it's been really fun to also just explore this virtual world. And they, they created like virtual events for us too. Um, and now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm like, they did this so that I would say this out loud. Yep. I have to say the thing that we haven't touched on yet in terms of top culture, which I've decided now <gasps> the is, toppest of is top. That top culture is the name of the segment now. I the toppest of the top is Blackest King, but it's the top culture. We can't do it justice right now. Okay. We should just save that as our top Ooh. culture for the next episode. And then we can just like go that. all the way in. I like that because it deserves a huge going in. Yeah. On. I, I need like 10 minutes just to talk about brown skin girl. Like that's okay. You know what I'm saying that's fair. So I feel like that's fair. I want to spend some it. time talking about my attempts to learn the choreography of already. So yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we'll, we'll <laughs> let's do it. Done. Let's do it. Let's leave All it right. on a dot. We'll leave it, dot, but we're just seeding dot. it because it is Beyonce's birthday today. We are planting the seed. We will be back. Happy um, birthday, Beyonce. We love you. We look up to you. We're grateful for everything you do. We're so you glad you were born. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for okay. listening to our show, Beloved Survivors. We are on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World PC. We're also on Facebook at End of the World Show. You can make a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our page at patreon.com slash end of the world show. And just want y'all to know, we have someone actively transcribing all of our back episodes right now with some of the um, resources that you all sent. So we're super grateful for it. And we'll be letting you know, basically every 10 to 16 of them that go up, we'll make an announcement that 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 section is up. But basically by the end of this year, every single episode that we've ever done will be transcribed and there'll be transcripts for all of the, each episode will start to have a transcript when we release it. So we're very excited. We will talk at some point about how, why it took us so long to get here and how exciting it was to learn the lesson that we needed to learn to get here. Yes. But here we are. Yes, here we and are. We thank you for. We did it. And we, yeah, and definitely gratitude to listeners for yeah being persistent with us about that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the subject of help, another helpful thing that you can do for us is write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're an iPhone person and you love the show, um, please go forth and write a review. Um, How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by about to be another baby daddy, Zach Wilson. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are very excited. It is going to be going on paternity leave again this fall. But right now we are getting that production support. And we love you, Zach. We love you, Zach. Music for today's show comes from Tunde Alaniran and Mother Cyborg.